Moo. Love, Maggie. Now, if you are a first-time guest, my name is Aaron. We typically don't start off that way with Moo nor failed mics. But this last Thursday, I was in the office working on my sermon, and uh, Manette, our administrative assistant, who also volunteers on our clean team, she came in to clean the lobby and the bathrooms to get things ready for us here on Sunday, and she brought her two youngest daughters, Maggie and Lucy, with her. And uh, they were out helping around and doing stuff, and I had been in my office uh, for probably well over an hour. And, and I'd been reading through the passage for today. I'd been consulting a couple commentaries. I'd been putting a lot together. When all of a sudden, Maggie comes into the office and, and grabs the trash can and the recycling bin. Well, when she brings them back, she starts talking to me. And I start talking back to her. And next thing I know, she's taken over my Spotify, playing Perry Grip songs at full volume. And she starts typing onto my blank sermon notes, Moo, love, Maggie. <laughs> I have screenshot evidence, by the way, in case you uh, don't believe me. Now, I was teasing the girls and, and uh, you know, pretending like, oh, this is horrible and such, a, such an interruption. But it, it, in all honesty, it was, a, it was a really fantastic moment because I seriously did not know how I was going to start my sermon. And they provided it. And, and no, it's not because she wrote Moo. You see, when they came in my office, they couldn't help but share what they love. They love Perry Grip songs. I have been out of the elementary preschool stage for a long time, but I'm not in the uh, grandparent stage yet. So I was unfamiliar with Perry Grip. I got quite an education. If you don't know who Perry Grip is, he has these really silly, some might say annoying songs that really rocked out my office for a good 10 minutes. Also, I had temporarily forgotten the hilarity of words like moo and toot. Once again, great education. But you see, these two didn't care whether or not I loved moo and toot or Perry Grip. All they knew is they loved these things, and out of their joy, they wanted to share them with me. Many of you have things that you love. So let me ask you. What do you enjoy that you just can't help but share with people? Some people might call this your guilty pleasure. That, that thing that you like to do, that, that food you like to eat, those Perry Grip songs you like to listen to. You, you, you engage in these things because it, it brings you some pleasure and out of your joy, you want to share it with others. Now, some people, they will keep their favorites private but for a lot of us, when we really enjoy something, we can't help but share it with someone else. Even if it is that campy B-level movie or doing something really weird like drinking dill pickle juice. So if you would, turn to someone around you, preferably not someone in your family, and share with them your guilty or maybe not so guilty pleasure. So just take a couple seconds, share what is it you like. You don't care what anyone else thinks of it. You enjoy it. Go ahead. All 
All right, if the other person hasn't shared yet, make sure the other gets to share. All right, so you maybe just heard something really, really weird. And so we are causing disunity within the church. Some of you, though, you may have just discovered your new guilty pleasure. Some of you are going, ooh, I may have to try that. Today, we are going to hear the Apostle Paul talk about not a guilty pleasure, but something that he loved. And he didn't care what anyone else thought of it or what they even thought of him. It was something that he was so passionate about, he couldn't help but talk about it and even write about it. What was it that he was so passionate about? The gospel. In Romans chapter 1, verse 16, he said that he is not ashamed of the gospel. He was not ashamed of this crazy story that a triune God would send the second member of the Trinity to take on human flesh, live a sinless life, but to die in the sinner's place. This story had changed his life, and he wanted out of his joy to share it with others, and he did not care what they thought of it or of him. But today what we're going to see is that if you are a follower of Jesus, if you are, as Jake said, a Christian, a little Christ, you too should love Jesus. And out of that love, it should naturally begin to spill forth out of you. That because it's something that you think about, it should be something you talk about. And as you speak about it, it naturally begins to go to those around you. And you begin to see gospel growth around you. So if you brought a Bible, I invite you to open it up to Colossians chapter 4. To Colossians 4. Now, I will admit that uh, we were in Colossians last week. We are going to return to Colossians here in two weeks as we continue our uh, series uh, centered. So that means that this week I tried really, really hard to find a different section of Scripture. Because what we're going to see today is not only in Colossians. So I wanted you to see that this is also elsewhere in the Bible. However, after talking with Jake realized that this really was such a clear description. It was, it was probably the best passage for us to do today. And so Jake's like, Aaron, who cares if we look at it again in like four weeks? Let's just do the right passage. And so if today's sermon stinks, you, you can't blame Jake. All right, this one's all on me. Well, except my introduction, that's on Maggie. Uh, so as we get ready to read out of Colossians, uh, let's pray. Uh, Heavenly Father, I pray that you would be our teacher today, uh, that we would, uh, no matter where we're at in our spiritual journey, we would hear something today that would help us go that next step with you. Uh, some of us here, we don't know you, and I pray that today might be their spiritual birthday. For those that are new in their faith, that they would hear what you want for them, what should naturally spill forth out of them. For those who have been following you a long time, but it's just become kind of the side thing, a rote thing, a duty, that there would be something sparked within them and that joy and, uh, and, and love would return. And for the person that is on fire for you right now, I pray that this would be exactly what you need, that this would be a, a breath of oxygen to stoke this even hotter and brighter than ever before. And so, God, I realize it is absolutely ridiculous to think that I, as one person, am going to be able to speak exactly what needs to be said to all those people. That's why, God, I give this to you. I submit it to you. And I ask that in the power of your Holy Spirit, you would turn these words into what each and every person needs to hear so that they can follow you. And I ask for it in Jesus' name. Amen. Uh, we uh, started off on January 1st with 21 days of prayer. 
uh, we began the week by looking at this idea of praying and asking for God to do gospel growth in us individually. That then led to last week as we kicked off week two, asking and praying for God to grow us as a church family in the gospel. Well, what we're going to see today is that when this gospel is growing within you and also within us as a church, it's going to just naturally begin to spill out and we're going to see gospel growth happening around us. And that is what we see Paul encourage us in Colossians 4. Our key verses today are verses 5 and 6. So if you would join me at Colossians 4 and let's do verses 5 and 6. Walk in wisdom toward outsiders, making the best use of the time. Let your speech always be gracious, seasoned with salt, so that you may know how you ought to answer each person. Now on the surface, it sounds like Paul is encouraging us to just be really nice people. In other words, just be more Iowan. Let your words be gracious, walk in wisdom towards outsider, be, be nice to everyone. That is not what Paul is saying. Now he's not asking us to be rude, there, but there's something deeper going on here than just on the surface, hey, go be nice. To understand that depth, we've got to go back and see what it is he says right before. So if you would, join me at uh, Colossians 4, starting with verse 2. Continue steadfastly in prayer, being watchful in it with thanksgiving. At the same time, pray also for us that God may open to us a door for the word to declare the mystery of Christ on account of which I am in prison, that I may make it clear, which is how I ought to speak. I hope you notice there that Paul is writing this from prison. But we learn from the book of Acts that it was not like behind bars. It, it was more like house arrest. He, he's in a house where he's able to receive visitors. He's able to receive messages. And he's also able to get messages out, such as the letter to the church in Colossae. It just meant he didn't have the freedom to just go wherever he wanted. There were Roman soldiers posted right there. Did you notice, though, he says why he's in prison? Back there in verse 3, it's because he had been declaring the mystery of Christ. It, it, the mystery of Christ is just simply a poetical way of saying the gospel. Paul's life had been turned upside down by this idea that God had sent his one and only son to this earth, that Jesus lived this sinless life but went and died in the sinner's place on the cross. But to show that he had authority over all things, even death itself, Jesus rose again from the dead. Now, Paul, at one point, was opposed to this message. He thought it was ruining his Jewish faith. And so he went around trying to persecute any Jew who proclaimed Jesus as the Messiah. That is, until he met Jesus and had his life completely changed. And now, instead of going around trying to arrest Jesus' followers, he began to travel around trying to make Jesus' followers. Well, his message was such a threat to Judaism that the Jewish people had him arrested, tried to put him on trial, even though he really had never done anything wrong. Eventually, as a Roman citizen, he appealed to the Caesar, which is how he ended up in prison in Rome. But did you notice that even though it is preaching the gospel that landed him in prison, he still wants to preach the gospel? At the end of verse Four, he says, you know, you know, pray that I might make this gospel clear, which is how I ought to speak. But then back in verse three, he asked them to pray that God would open a door for us for the word. Paul is clearly way more selfless than me. 
Because if I were in his predicament, I'd be praying, God, please open a door for me to get out of prison. That's not what he says. He says, pray that God would open a door for the word, for this mystery of Christ, for this gospel to continue to go forth. Now, I'm sure that if Paul had an opportunity to escape out of prison, he would take it. But if he thought God could somehow use his imprisonment to spread the gospel faster, great. Because it wasn't about him. What he loved was God and God's gospel. And he wanted anything and everything possible to make it spread. He wanted to see the gospel grow outwardly. So if that means stay in prison, I'll stay in prison. That is why as we get to verses 5 and 6, we can't just think, oh, well, he's telling us to, you know, be nice to outsiders, to be nice with our speech. No, the context is evangelism. It's this longing within him to share that which he loves, which he doesn't care what other people think about or what they think of him. He just wants it to spread. And so likewise, he wants to see it spread. That's why he says, because of the gospel, to walk in wisdom toward outsiders, making the best use of the time. That because of the gospel, we are to let our speech always be gracious, seasoned with salt. Because of the gospel, we should know how we ought to answer each person. There are many things in life that need to happen naturally. When a baby is born, they should just naturally begin to breathe air. When that baby eats healthy food, he or she should naturally begin to grow over the next days, weeks, months. When a tree, an oak tree is healthy, it will just naturally produce acorns. Paul is saying that if you are a Jesus follower, you are to love Jesus in such a way that you should naturally begin to see gospel growth, not just in you, but begin to happen around you. And he tells us three ways to help make this happen. For us to see this gospel growth happening around us, he wants us to saturate ourselves in the gospel. And so in these, these two verses, he gives us three ways. First, we need to let uh, the gospel saturate our minds. Let the gospel saturate your mind. Notice the second half of verse six. He says that you ought to know how to answer each person. That means you cannot just have a casual understanding of the gospel. You can't just hear the, the idea of the gospel. And go, Oh, that's that thing they talk about every Easter at church, isn't it? Like you need to know this. When Maggie and Lucy crashed into my office on Thursday and took over my Spotify, as they began to play these Perry Grip songs, they knew these songs. They knew the words, their dancing. Even before the song ended, they were already calling out the title of the next song. Like, oh, I want to hear this one. All I can tell you is Perry Grip and tacos. Like, that's all I remember out of the whole moment. I do not know Peregrip, they do. You have to know this. And to know it, you have to let it saturate your mind. That means you need to get into the scriptures. It is through the Bible that we know this gospel. So you need to get into it regularly. I would also encourage you, read books about the gospel to understand the implications of it, that this isn't just some historical event in the past, that it resonates even into our time and can change our lives. Listen to podcasts, sermons. Get into a growth group 
Meet with other believers who are going to help you begin to understand this gospel. Do anything and everything necessary to let this saturate your mind. Because as the gospel saturates your mind, you can then begin to do the next thing, and that is to let it saturate your words. Second thing is to let the gospel saturate your words. Look there at the first half of verse 6. Paul writes, to let your speech always be gracious, seasoned with salt. Some of you may have heard the famous St. Francis of Assisi quote. Uh, I actually typed it wrong. I wrote share. It's actually preach the gospel at all times, if necessary, use words. I used to love this quote. I used to use it all the time until I discovered, I don't know, probably about 15 years ago, two major problems with it. Number one, it's not actually written by St. Francis of Assisi. We have zero record of him ever saying it, writing it, so it's not St. Francis. And second, it is impossible to fully share the gospel without using words. Now, we're going to see next how you need to let the gospel saturate your life. Your, your actions are definitely a part of it. But if you live your life in such a way that people notice, guess what? Paul says you need to know how to answer someone. They're going to be asking you questions, so you need to let your speech be gracious, seasoned with salt. Salt in Paul and Jesus' day was a preservative. They didn't have refrigeration, so they couldn't just throw the meat in the freezer and pull it out and thaw it when they needed to throw something in the crock pot. They, they had to get salt and, and work it in. That was their only way to preserve it. Are your words preserving relationships? Are your words preserving people's lives? Are, are, are your words making a difference? Are your words building up or are they tearing down? If the gospel has been saturating your mind, you realize how much God loves you. And so therefore, you want your words to be coming out. And this doesn't mean that you have to like quit your job, buy a bullhorn and stand on the street corner yelling at everybody. It just means let the gospel become part of everything. What you say, what you do, and let it make a difference. And as people see that life in you, they will ask you, and you're going to have to use your words, which is why you have to have your mind saturated in the gospel so you'll know how to answer to use this speech. And then that leads to the last thing that I've kind of already uh, alluded to. You need to let the gospel saturate your life. Notice verse 5. He says that we are to walk in wisdom toward outsiders, making the best use of the time. This uh, past Wednesday, uh, my wife and I are leading uh, the uh, uh, middle school, high school youth group. And in the course of the conversation, I, I said to the kids that uh, my, one of my longings for them is that they wouldn't just be Wednesday night Christians. Not, not that they are. I, I was not accusing them of anything. But just saying, this is what I desire for you. I, I've known a ton of people who can talk a great talk on Sunday morning, but they are not walking the walk on Monday night. And I don't say that trying to guilt trip you into anything. All of us sin, all of us screw up. We, we all make these royal mistakes. It's just that when you sin, where do you fall? Are you falling toward the grace of God? Or are you just retreating in yourself and going, yeah, you know, it's not that big of a deal. You put on the front to impress everybody, but you're going to be someone entirely different in the privacy of your own heart and home. Thing is, God sees that. And God wants to rescue you from that duplicitous life because that's going to create a, a schism, a, a chasm within yourself. 
And you are not going to be able to enjoy the life that God wants to give you and wants to call you to. He wants to use you to be a blessing to others. And that is not going to happen if you're trying to put on one face in front of everyone else and you're someone else entirely behind. But when you've let this gospel saturate your mind, you understand the intense love God has for you, the incredible grace he's shown to you. These things come out through your words, but it also comes out in your actions. One of the most powerful things you can do to bring a witness to the gospel is to let your your life and your words be in sync. It doesn't mean you're going to do it perfectly. You're going to stumble. You're going to make mistakes. You won't say it right. You'll you'll be selfish in a moment. You'll say something cruel. But in that moment, where are you going to fall? On God's grace? Are you going to go and apologize? Are you going to humble yourselves? Are you just going to withdraw, hold back, and pretend I'm fine. To see gospel growth happen around you, you need to let it saturate your mind so that it comes out through your words and comes out through your life. But where should you expect to see this gospel growth? Jesus tells us in Acts 1-8 where he expects gospel growth to happen. He tells us it should happen in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and the ends of the earth. Your Jerusalem is your immediate context. Those are people that are right there around you. It's work, your neighborhood, school, class, your, your, your clubs, your sports. That, that's your Jerusalem. A little beyond that is your Judea. It's people who would probably like you, but they're, they're a little farther out than your Samaria. It's people who are a little different than you. But then we need to see this go to the ends of the earth. At Riverwood, we have intentionally tried to structure our ministry and our giving according to this Acts 1-8 model. Obviously, we're trying to reach our Jerusalem through Sunday morning worship gatherings. Anyone can walk through those doors. You, we, we don't ask you to check anything, to say you believe certain things. Anyone's invited to be a part, especially if they do not know this gospel message. So if, if that's you, I want you to know, we started this church for you. We did not start this church just to try to steal Christians from other churches. We intentionally started this church to help people who feel spiritually disconnected from God to find Jesus and follow him. And so if that's you, you belong here. We welcome your spiritual questions. We'd love to be a part of whatever God's trying to do in you to help you understand this life-changing gospel. It's also why our growth groups are welcome to anyone. Again, you don't have to take some sort of exam to attend a growth group. Just, it's an invite. So if you're in a growth group, feel free to invite anyone to it. Let them come. Let them study the scriptures with you. Let them ask their questions. We've, a couple of different times, we've had some teenagers come to the youth group. They have asked some awesome questions. It's so much fun. Let them come and ask. It's also why we as a church get out into our Jerusalem. We, we try to serve at the, the food bank, food pantry once a month. It's why some of you, you're volunteering in school. Some of you have signed up to be mentors through All in Mentoring. We're trying to get out there. Personally, not only through mentoring and some other things, but I, I've, God's opened some doors at, F, uh, at Warburg. I, I, every other Monday night, get to help lead a Bible study with some, uh, uh, through FCA at Warburg. And then every Thursday, I have some, bio, some Warburg wrestlers in my home. Just to, they chose to study the book of James. So we're working through James and just considering this gospel. Some of you, I know you're intentionally asking God to use you at work, to use you at school, to use you in your neighborhood, to use you with extended family. As you let this gospel saturate you, 
you should begin to see it spreading out into your Jerusalem. But also at Riverwood, we have been intentionally trying to see the gospel spread to our Judea. We can't reach the people who are an hour, two hours away from us. So we've partnered up with, with other groups. Right now, we're partnering with FCA, Fellowship of Christian Athletes. They're in middle schools, high school, and colleges all around Northeast Iowa, reaching people that we can't reach, encouraging believers to understand this gospel, to grow it in the gospel, but also to welcome anyone who has questions to consider this whole entire story of Jesus. We're also trying to reach our Samaria. For the last five years, we've been supporting Patrick and Shelby Ray as they plant Northside Neighborhood Church in North Minneapolis. The North Minneapolis neighborhood could not be much, it couldn't be any more different than, than Waverly and Shell Rock and Janesville and Denver. It, it, it is a multicultural neighborhood, a wide range of incomes, a, a wide range of families, but it is also a very violent neighborhood. Families are not letting their kids go to the park in the summer because they want their kids to live. Patrick writes about how tired he is of going to funerals. And yet they're trying to bring the gospel right there and it is an honor for us to get to be a part of it through prayer, through finances. Some of you have gone to help, and we want to continue to help him reach our Samaria, his Jerusalem. But then we're also trying to reach the ends of the earth. It took way too long, but finally last year, Riverwood got in its budget two missionaries. We've started supporting Aslan McCarthy, who's doing deaf ministry in Togo. We were intentionally looking for, for places and people groups that might just kind of get overlooked and you couldn't find a more overlooked group than the deaf in Togo. 40,000 people, and yet they still had no sign language for them to communicate. And so they are learning how to take American Sign Language, fit it to, so that the people in Togo can learn it, and then as they teach it, they can begin to show them the gospel. And we're praying that they would see over the next several years, churches begin to form among the 40,000 people of Togo who cannot hear, but they can hear the gospel. And then we also began to support Josh and Hillary Smith as they do evangelism, discipleship, and church planning in, among the poor in Cambodia. They truly are just kind of, they're not rebels, but they're, they're kind of just out there on their own. And so it is an absolute honor for us as a church back in America to partner with them financially and prayerfully. If you are doing the 21 days with us and you're, you've got the devotional books, you're going to be praying for the Rays, for Aslan, and for the Smiths this week. And I just thank you for, for being a part of that. And would you just, there, there's uh, uh, in, in, on those days, they, I've given you their email address. Would you just send them a message and just say, hey, I just want you to know we're praying for you. I'd love for us to just flood their inboxes and just overwhelm them. I think it would encourage them so much because they're able to help reach people that we can't reach. Now, I realize that as we're talking today about this gospel going around us, out from us, that there's probably all sorts of emotions. Some of you, you're a little nervous. Some of you, you're scared. Like, is Aaron serious? Like, he expects me to go and, like, use words? Like, isn't it enough for me to just kind of be a nice person? Also, some of you, if you're not a follower of Christ, some of what I'm talking about, it sounds manipulative, even dangerous. It sounds like proselytization. Well, let me share, let me conclude with the story today that I hope will allay both sets of fears. The story comes from the book of 2 Kings. In 2 Kings, around the early chapters, Israel is split into two kingdoms. 
The northern kingdom retained the name of Israel, but the southern kingdom was known as the, ki- the kingdom of Judah. Now Judah, because it was the southern kingdom, still had Jerusalem as its capital city. So Israel had to find a new capital city, and they made Samaria their capital. But as Israel's trying to go about doing life, the nation of Syria gets mad at them and decides to invade. And so Syria comes, uh, Syria comes to Samaria and begins to besiege it. And they just like start hanging out outside, keeping anyone from coming in or going out. The plan is to starve the city out. And it's working. By the time you get to the end of chapter 6, there's a story where a woman approaches the king in tears and says that she and another woman had agreed to kill and boil their children for food so they could survive. So we meet four lepers in verse 3 of chapter 7. These four lepers would normally have to live out at this camp. And what would happen is that the people of the city would bring food out, set it at the edge of the camp, and they could then come and get the food. So because of their skin disease, they couldn't live in the city because they didn't want anyone else to get it. But then they had to receive food. They were dependent upon the city. Well, because the city is basically in lockdown, they're getting no food. So they're beginning to starve. And so these four lepers leave the camp, come to the city, just hoping for someone to throw like something over the wall so they can eat. And yet the people don't have anything. So these four lepers are basically stuck between a rock and a hard place. The the Syrian army is just right out there. And yet they are not allowed into the city. And even if they got in, there'd be no food. So one of the guys looks at the others and says, let's defect. Let's just try and go over to the Syrian army. If they kill us, it's actually a mercy because they're going to, you know, just do sooner what's going to inevitably happen. But if they have mercy on us and give us some food, maybe our suffering will relent. Well, the sun has started to set by this time. So the four of them get up and as it's just beginning to get dark, they make their way to camp. And as they make their way to camp, they suddenly realize it's empty. Not, Not empty as in nothing's there. No, there were tents, there was armor, there was food, There were just no people. It turns out that right as the sun is setting, God sent the sound of a humongous army. Now, there was no army, but the Syrians heard all this noise, thought for sure that the Israelites had somehow gotten word to a neighboring nation, and this other army was coming in, and the Syrians were not prepared. They were prepared to just sit and wait it out. So suddenly, they're fearful And they hightail it out of there, leaving everything behind. That was the greatest day those four lepers had ever experienced. Because now suddenly they have all the food that they could possibly want. They have all the gold they could possibly have. They've got all these new sets of clothing, even armor and weapons. They are now set for life. They're going to be the four richest lepers the world has ever seen. In fact, it says that they start digging holes to bury some of it because they can't carry it all. They're going to come back and get some of the loot until one of them gets a guilty conscience. He begins to look over at the other guys. They start catching his eye. They start realizing what he's thinking. And this is what happens in 2 Kings 7 verse 9. Then they said to one another, we are not doing right This day is a day of good news. If we are silent and wait until the morning light, punishment will overtake us. Now, therefore, come, let us go and tell the king's household. 
These guys had found something good. I would even say they found something great. And they realized how wrong it was to keep it to themselves. They had to share. If you are a follower of Jesus, you have the good news. Actually, I would say you have the greatest news. How wrong it would be for us to dig a hole, put it down in, and keep our faith a private thing. When this message has the life and potential to change life for others. So we have to share it. In order to share it, let it saturate your mind. Because as it saturates your mind, it will come out through your speech. It will come out through how you live. And you'll begin to see it happen in your Jerusalem, through Judea, Samaria, and the ends of the earth. This is what God wants for you. This is what you should see naturally happening. Some of you, it's going to just be a baby step. Who's the person you need to go to to just do something kind for? Who's the person you need to go and just ask a question and listen? Who's the person that you've built this relationship? There's trust and you need to begin to share your faith at a deeper level. What is God calling you to do to not just see this gospel grow in you? And what is God calling us as a church to not just see us grow in the gospel? What is God calling you and us to do to see the gospel continue to grow around us? So Heavenly Father, that is what I pray for right now. That you, in, in 2023, would continue this work that you have begun through this, this church and we would see it go even further and farther and deeper than we ever dreamed possible. Lord, as Jake prayed earlier, we long to see revival, but not so that we have something to tell our grandkids about or make a name for Riverwood. We want to see this so people know you and meet you. God, you love them. You are passionate for humans. Your image is in them. That image was distorted through sin, and you want to restore them through Jesus. But God, I don't know why, but your chosen vehicle is humans. You want to use your followers to make this message known. And so, Father, I pray that you would help us to surrender ourselves to first let you change us, but that as you change us, this gospel would flow through us and begin to change others. God, some of us here, we are chicken Christians. We're chicken evangelists. We're afraid to share this. And so, God, would you lovingly kick us out of this, our chicken coop and would you let us share this gospel? Would you have people ask us questions? Would you begin to create the opportunities? Would your Holy Spirit speak? And then would you help us to be obedient? Lord, I pray for the person that's listening to this that has not surrendered their life to you. Maybe they've used the word Christian. Maybe they haven't. But as they've been listening to this, they're realizing that this gospel isn't just something about Jesus dying on a cross back in history that it makes a difference even today. Father, as your Holy Spirit is drawing them, I pray that right now they would confess their sin. They would give their life to you because you, Jesus, gave your life for them. Lord, for the person who's been, they know the stories, they've grown up in church, but they've just not been pursuing you. I pray that they today would make that decision to let your gospel saturate their mind and saturate their very being. 
God, I pray you would grow them in your gospel. But Father, I pray, ultimately, it would not just stay with us as individuals. We wouldn't just bury this and come back to look at it, but that instead, this would be a part of us and we would go and share this bounty. Because God, I believe your greatest glory is found when people find their faith in you and our greatest joy will be in that moment as well. And so God, I pray that you'd help our hearts to beat in sync with your heart. That we would have the same attitude towards other humans that you do. That we don't see outsiders as being the enemy or rejects or different, but instead that we would see outsiders as simply people that you love, you are for, that Jesus died for, and people that we want to welcome in. So God, do in us what you need to so that your gospel might continue to go forth for your glory. And it's in Jesus' name we pray, amen.